Hello and welcome to the Convenience Mix podcast brought to you by conveniencestore.co.uk, Lumina Intelligence and The Grocer. Every four weeks, we'll be focusing on the key trends and topics impacting the UK convenience sector. Each episode sees us take a deep dive into a key industry topic and share the latest data, news and insight, giving retailers, suppliers and wholesalers the information needed to support business critical decisions. My name is Ronan Hegarty, I'm the news editor at The Grocer, and I'm delighted to say that joining me today are my illustrious co-hosts, Blonnie Wists, Head of Insight at Lumina Intelligence. Hello. And Aidan Fortune, Editor of ConvenienceStore.co.uk. Thanks, Ronan. Great to be here and excited for today's episode. Today, we turn our attention to the growing low and no alcohol category. Is low to know the future of drinking? How far can the category go? Where do the opportunities lie for convenience store retailers? What do shoppers want to see from the category? What are the barriers to purchasing in the category? As well as hearing from us, I also caught up with Chris Miller, Chief Operating Officer at JW Philsill, to understand his views and the work they are doing to boost this category. And to help add even more expertise on the subject of the booming no and low alcohol category, we are joined today by the grocer's very own buying and supplying editor, Daniel Wolfson. Hi, Ronan. Thanks for having me. Before we get stuck into this week's main subject, I just thought it was worth a quick look at what the big issues are in convenience at the moment. And something that caught my attention in the last few days was the flack that the co-op has been receiving in certain quarters for uh, for not handing back its business rates relief. Um, this is the relief that it received for last year in the middle of the whole uh, coronavirus pandemic. The co-op has said it won't be claiming relief for the current financial year but that unlike many major grocery retailers, it plans to hang on to the 66 million or so it was given last year. From my point of view, I think it's a very controversial one, but uh, I think it's totally fine and that it's keeping the money. I'm sure some of our wholesale listeners who uh, haven't received any money yet from the government, very little support, will probably be screaming at their uh, devices or whatever they're listening on just uh, hearing that. But uh, my view is that wholesalers should certainly be getting more help but equally, the big grocers shouldn't have to hand back grants just because, you know, they've been guilted into doing so by Tesco. Um, when it got the ball rolling in December, everyone then sort of followed suit like a like a dominoes and they, they fell into place. Well, others have sort of said, we were given the dosh. Uh, we didn't know it was a loan. We're keeping it. So um, for me, the co-op spent or got 66 million. It, it spent over 80 million measures to keep safe. You know, and we've seen this throughout convenience. Uh, McCall's, Blakemore Retail, all spending a lot, lots of money on convenience, making stores safe, and much more than they actually uh, got in government government grants. You know, so you know, Aidan, you know, I wouldn't demand anyone pays back, pays this back, but you know, it's worth making a distinction between convenience retailers and the major supermarkets here, isn't it? Oh, completely. I agree. It's a it was an unpopular but a brave decision, and it sets a healthy precedent. Um, you're right. When Tesco announced that it, its rates relief uh, would be paid back, um, other supermarkets fell over themselves to do the same. And if Tesco had decided not to do anything, would, would the others have stepped up? And it all became a bit of a PR exercise, and convenience cannot afford to get caught up in that. Um, and it's important to remember that not all Coop stores saw massive growth in sales during the lockdown. And they have other arms of the business they need to consider if they want to remain viable. It's one thing being noble, but it's complete one thing. It's, it's another thing altogether to put your business at financial risk. 
Um, and also, where does it stop? Do all convenience retailers, do they get guilted into not returning this money that they're entitled to at a time when they've spent a lot of money, a lot of money making their store safer? So, yeah, I think good on co-op um, and hopefully it, this maybe puts the end to being guilted into returning this money. Yeah, I completely agree. And and just to add to that even more, I actually think this kind of criticism is really distracting from the amazing job that all grocery retailers have done over the last year and, and are doing now. It's feeding the nation, keeping staff and customers safe, and that's no mean feat. And this is a bit of a distraction from that. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, so let's just get into our main topic discussion for today, the, uh, the low and no alcohol explosion. Cards on the table here. I have to say that if you'd have told me five years ago the category would have taken the hold the way it has, I wouldn't have believed you. I very much enjoy a drink or two from time to time. I think a lot of people in the industry might know that. Um, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't have, a few years ago, I wouldn't have had much time for sort of alcohol-free options, but I think that's all changed. And I would say I'd probably be buying something, a non-alcohol-free beer, at least once, once a week, um, and I find, you know, plenty of reasons to enjoy one. Um, so if it can change for me, I'm sure it's changed for a lot of people. So uh, if we can maybe start with uh, Daniel on this, how big a deal is this category? What's behind the recent success? Um, it, it's a really, really big deal. Um, I think it's it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned that it's not something in the past you would have ever considered because in the, in the low and no drinks industry itself, there's a lot of kind of knowing nods to the dark days of calibre. And I think... Uh, a mass understanding that you know, the the quality of drinks in the category has improved just just overwhelmingly over the past few years. Um, yeah, it, it is a big deal. If if we look at you know the latest market figures from from Nielsen and Kantar, I think Kantar shows it's up fifty percent to two two hundred seventeen point one million pounds over the last year, um, which you know obviously in the grand scheme of things. There are there are far bigger categories, and within within total booze itself, it's it's still small. But you know that's a lot of growth. The, the Nielsen read is slightly less generous. It's about twenty five percent growth to one hundred sixty four million. But that's still a lot a lot of people who are who are buying these drinks. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think for me there are, you know a few reasons for the low and no option. Whether it's cutting down on booze generally. You know, you might be driving or just wanting to keep a clear head, but still enjoy socialising. Uh, Blonnie, can you talk us through some of the key motivating factors, you know, that's steering people towards this category? I mean, ultimately, it has to boil down to health. Health is the number one most important factor that consumers cite for drinking low to no. Um, it's cited by 31% and is actually far more important to this group of 18 to 24s who we know are very health conscious in other sorts of consumption behaviours. And when they're actually making the purchase in convenience stores, low to no shoppers actually value brand selection almost as much as promotional deals, which is a pattern that we don't see in other categories. And as this category is expanding, shoppers really expect to have the wide choice available that they see in other BWS products. And I think that really raises this question of what the role of the big brands is versus these small craft independent producers. And the suppliers that I've actually spoken to are really welcoming the big brands in this space because they're focusing on growing the category. They're supporting it, they're investing, um, and they're making consumers more aware. 
Um, so in particular, we know that although young consumers are the key drivers of low to no, they're also by far the most frequent shoppers in convenience for low to no, which is almost double over 55s. And the frequency of purchase in convenience actually decreases um, as consumers get older. And the other thing that I think people aren't talking enough about in low to no is this consumer need for positive news. Uh, you said that maybe you wouldn't have considered this a couple of years ago. I probably wouldn't have considered this even last year. But I think that after the year we've had, there is so much more room in consumers' lives for, for positivity. And, and that's where I see low to no really being about the future. It's about having more choice, more options and more ways to socialise. So I think if low to no can successfully flip that narrative that it's about restricting and cutting out unhealthy things then that's where we'll really see growth. I actually have a personal relationship with the low to no category. I uh, I'd never I'd never bought into it up until about uh Christmas the beginning of 2020 so back when the pandemic was you know no one could have guessed what was what the future had in store for us. Uh, and I I'd, I'd never really taken it seriously because I loved booze. I wrote about booze a lot. I spoke to a lot of people in the booze industry and it always seemed like a bit of a, I guess I was always just, just like, really, is this really the next big thing that all the big brands and retailers are getting excited about? Is this really the exciting area of growth in, 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 in booze in FMCG? Um, but then I did a dry January, which became a dry half year. Uh, and I ended up consuming a lot of low and non-alcoholic beer particularly at the start and um actually i found you know when you're say working from home or when you when you get home and you've had a long day and you know that that almost arbitrary need to go to the fridge and get a beer out and just sit back and go oh my god i'm so glad that's over um having a non-alcoholic beer to my surprise you know, fulfills exactly the same thing. It's a nice cold drink that tastes now a lot of brands just taste exactly like, you know, an alcoholic drink would have. And it has that same almost, whether it's a placebo or not, doesn't really matter because it allows you to kind of relax and and and, and, and turn down from the day in a way that a normal beer would. Absolutely, I know that uh, know that midweek beer feeling, and I, I've definitely uh, in recent recent months, you know, swapped a few sort of regular beers for for non-alcoholic versions, and and they've had just had an impact really. So you know, it's a fledgling category. Um, it still feels to me very much though that it's a uh, one that's you know taken hold much stronger in the supermarkets, um, and may have therefore they may have got to jump on convenience stores for this. Aidan, um, why do you think C store owners are still maybe a bit reticent? space mainly um it's a massive concern for retailers across the board and introducing a new category um can be tough do they cut back on traditional alcohol soft drinks do they have fewer facings but keep the same number of lines they have a lot of questions to answer um for something that is still quite unproven despite its successes over the last few years um, and speaking to retailers about this, um, a lot are not sure where to start. And so this is why they stick with the big name brands, which are perfectly fine, but sometimes don't seem as inspiring as they could be when you go to maybe your larger stores. Um, so it's, you know, it's a very tough beginning for 
for the for the category for retailers. Um, also, communication seems to be an issue. Uh, I visited a lot of stores, obviously, and it's kind of tucked away. You don't, and nobody knows it's there. Um, so they really need to. There needs to be support for this. Um, I, I saw that the new Nice Express format has a really cool looking space for loan. Now, it's beside the traditional alcohol, but it's um, got a neon, little neon sign above it, and it's a separate fridge, but it's all in the same unit, and it looks great. Um, you know, not every retailer can afford that or can afford the space, but maybe some you know some decent POS will go a long way to make it really easy for consumers to find to find a category in stores. Yeah, so some really great points there, Aidan, and uh, very much with that in mind, I actually spoke earlier um, to uh, Chris, Chris Miller, who is the Chief Operating Officer at uh, the leading wholesaler, JW Philsill, and uh, we spoke very much about most of these topics, about how convenience retailers can really maximise the value from low and know what's holding them back from doing so, and what advice they as a wholesaler are providing to their retailers. Welcome, Chris. Um, thanks for joining us on the Convenience Mix podcast. If we just start um, from your point of view uh, as a wholesaler, what's behind this the, the real rise in the low to no alcohol category of recent years? I think what's driving the rise in popularity of the of this category, Ronan, is is the agenda of health and well-being. Principally, I think it's underpinned by that in terms of people's knowledge and their education of their consumption versus what is. Um, a category of interest with some some fairly innovative producers um, and drink styles um, being brought to the market. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a real point of interest is actually the sort of what's sort of being brought to the market by suppliers. It's, you know, a long way from what it used to be, just one or two uh, major brands doing sort of beer alternatives, but this is right across the low and no category, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it's it's not just... um, it's not just the, the the beer category. You know, there's a couple of interesting ciders now. In fact, there's quite a few interesting ciders and also um, other RTD variants coming to the market. There's some Me Too spirits that are are in that are in the the the, the broader BWS category. So yeah, so it's not just what it used to be. Far from it. And is the quality much better than it was? I would say it's improving for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the ones that you know. I measure it not just in terms of the consumer demand because obviously it's out there in, in social media and there's brand awareness and consumer trial being driven on the back of that, Ronan, but I also measure it in terms of the approaches which we receive from um, producers, suppliers, distributors, agents representing these brands. And that's certainly been a noted increase or a marked increase um, in the last year, year and a half, certainly. This podcast focuses primarily on the convenience retailer. Uh, it feels to me potentially that this category is obviously still very much in its infancy and at the moment probably had a greater sort of traction in supermarkets. So what are the challenges for convenience retailers when it comes to knowing what's stuck in this kind of range? Yeah, I mean, that that is the challenge. Um, I think that answer would be similar to most categories and not just um, the low and no alk category, Ronan. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it does come down to, you know, linear footage in a in a convenience store and available shelf space within the section. Um, you know, this is a, a new subcategory that that does require um, perhaps a little bit more space so that the consumer recognises it as a category in its own right, as opposed to a bolt on to BWS, but in a, in the low and no alk. Um, category. So I think the challenges are route to market for the producers um, and actually getting that heft of scale um, to warrant the distribution and then ultimately, um, you know, those that, that, that will survive 
um, based on the rate of sale in the convenience and the independent um, specialists for that matter. So it's a uh, it, whilst it's an opportunity, it's not without its challenges. Yeah, it's a bit of a chicken and egg one, isn't it? Sort of thing that uh, before you get that sort of rate of sale, how do you how do you establish that with the consumer? Yeah, and scale comes into it. You know, um, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but these producers um, might be contract production, or they might be doing it themselves. They might only be producing it, but they might be outsourcing their packaging, so they're not in control of all of their resources. You know, and that, that's really where you get some economies of scale. Um, because at the end of the day, there does have to be a, a reasonable shared margin in there for what should be priced uh, at a premium to the consumer in, in outlet. Uh, so what advice do you um, provide to your retailers uh, in relation to this category? Well, th- that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I tag this new category on to my buyer who deals with um, specialist products, who deals with premium um, beers, wines and spirits and in particular um, craft brewers and the like um, because I felt that that was the best place for it to sit because the understanding was the same in terms of how does it get to market and warrant the space on the shelf so it's been challenging in terms of how we incorporate uh, the low and no alcohol category into what is a core range in a convenience store and and you know we, we cover quite a large geography as I'm sure you know um, you know GW Philso covers from the lakes across the Northumbria and all the geographies of Scotland, including the islands. So the regionality, there are variances in there in terms of um, what a core range looks like in the licensed section of a convenience store uh, or an independent specialist. And I, and I sense initially, um, and probably driven through social media awareness, that the opportunity for low and no alcohol will probably perform better in the independent specialists as opposed to you know, um, as opposed to the convenience channel from day one. Price seems to be a bit of a, a factor, um, s- some very high prices, particularly in sort of the uh, spirit alternative consumers. I think the, the, the challenge is what are they actually paying for sort of thing. So how do you convince uh, a retailer to stock some of these more premium lines? Yeah, we, we, we need we need the, the background to, to the business case for it from, from the producers. You're quite right. I mean, you can be paying a similar price point for a no or a low out long drink in terms of a white spirit, um, as you could be for its equivalent at 37.5% ABV. So from an education perspective, that is quite a challenge to convince the, the consumer why and the retailer why they should be stocking these products. Um, and the consumer obviously needs to understand that the cost of goods and the method of production will be um, far more per mil, per litre than it would be if it was a a famous brand, for example. Yeah, absolutely. But it, overall, this is a category that is set to grow. And and you'd notice the sort of different, uh, like who's buying this product? I mean, is there a demographic? Is this particularly young people or is this across the, uh, across the age ranges? There's no question that younger generations, um, students, people of illegal drinking age now are um, considering more about what they, what they consume. So, um, you know, that does exist, but it's probably still quite a small part of the market. Um, in terms of demand, um, but certainly, uh, you know, professionals, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'd like to say over, you know, the 26 to, to 45 bracket is probably where this opportunity lies. Um, the whole midweek drinking thing um, is, of course, uh, important, um, particularly if you're going to be commuting the next day or driving the next day, you know, 
consumers are acutely aware of their responsibilities now in terms of not taking the risks. And I think the whole outside consumption piece is playing its part here as well. Um, and that's been driven, of course, by what's happened in the last year. Um, people spending more time a- a- outdoors or creating outdoor spaces even even in, in their houses, um, which at the end of the day is take-home consumption. And hopefully uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be making those purchases locally in their, in their convenience store. So, you know, the, the dynamics of... Um, the shopper have changed ever more so in the last year as well. Absolutely. And do you think this summer could prove a real sort of catalyst for that category because of the rules around the pandemic, meeting outdoors, people potentially, you know, spending more time sort of in the afternoon, people maybe not wanting to drink a full ABV product earlier in the day and things like that? I think I think you're right. And I'm sure you and I will be doing behaving in a similar fashion in terms of starting our outdoor socialising earlier, therefore perhaps not consuming uh, higher ABV products earlier in the day um, so that the evening finishes earlier. So, yeah, the, the, again, the, the, the consumer's habits are evolving. Um, and, yeah, this, this last year and I think this summer, I think you're right, Ron, I, I do think that, that people will make different choices when it comes to what they're consuming in what environment and with whom at what time. Excellent. Um, thanks a lot, Chris. Um, Thanks for joining us and uh, look forward to chatting to you again sometime. You're more than welcome. Thank okay. you, Ronan. Thanks for having me. Interesting stuff there from Chris. Um, particularly, I thought about, you know, the having a strong range, ha- having that choice available. Um, but also, I think, um, putting some of the onus back on suppliers um, that they have to make the case for retailers to stock their products. Uh, I think that's an interesting one that hopefully suppliers can make, take note of, really. But, you know, speaking of that, surely it's a category where fortune favours the brave when it comes to retailers and the range they stock, Daniel. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think also, as you say, it's quite untested. And I think it's not necessarily the case that it needs to be split out into a into a separate category or so clearly defined as being different from alcohol when, you know, a lot of the shoppers who are going in to, 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 to try different brands and try new things within low to no aren't necessarily shopping it in a different way than they would the booze fixture if they were buying craft beers. Most consumers do see it as BWS rather than a premium soft drink. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's important. And as well as when you mentioned it's BWS, I mean, I think a lot of the focus uh, when we talk about this category revolves around the beer. Um, that was the, the forerunner for all of this. It sort of broke broke the mould through into consumers um into the into their baskets but you know this is now coming across all uh, all the categories spirits wines um i had a uh, sparkling chardonnay no alcohol last night i have to say it was uh you know it it wasn't a cheap cheap bottle, bottle of wine it was it was nearly 9 pounds um it was very sparkly it looked like champagne it uh, sort of had a bit of that effect but it tasted of absolutely nothing so how long did it how long did it last no the bubbles like lasted very much just like a normal champagne the what didn't appear at any stage was any flavor so i think there's still a challenge there so disappointing and it's bad products which are diluting the market and that's actually why i would tip beer to lead this because beer has always been much more sensitive to low abv or high abvs and also it has that lower price point. So you're not spending so much money on an alcohol-free champagne. I think quite frankly, also a lot of people 
don't necessarily buy beer just for the taste because of the emotional connotations of having a beer and the social aspect of it. Whereas when you buy a bottle of wine, I think you're very much buying it for something that has the defined taste of wine rather than... And perhaps there's an argument that it's, it, it may be easier in production to mimic the taste of beer because the ingredients that go into making a low alcohol beer are essentially, or a non-alcoholic beer, are essentially the same as would go into making a regular beer, that there isn't such a divergence between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic versions. And what do you make, Daniel Lavoie, you know, so we say that the, the spirits have really also sort of, you know, gained a bit of attraction there, the, the Me Too spirits, as Chris called them earlier. Um, they came in initially with very big price tags, but now we're seeing, you know, the main brands getting involved. Is this something that could move that on? I think this could definitely move it on. For a long time, uh, non-alcoholic spirits was pretty much run by one brand, which was Seedlip, which came in and really invented the category. You know, great marketing, pretty high price points. Um, but, you know, it, it, it sold tremendously well, got bought by Diageo. So I guess that's a testament to its success. Um, and then... There were a lot of brands, startups, challenges that, that launched and came onto the market afterwards. And only now, after about a year of, of hearing hype from, from, from the industry and from shoppers and it really starting to gain traction, is there, you know, we're starting to see proper spirit suppliers creating non-alcoholic versions of their core drinks. So the biggest ones of these were obviously Gordon's and Tanqueray, which are both from Diageo, which came out in... Uh, I think December and February, uh, and and as skeptical as you know one can be about you know the idea of a non-alcoholic gin or a, you know all, all these sorts of drinks, Gordon's Zero Zero sold a million pounds worth in its first month on the market, which which really speaks for itself. But again, do 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 retailers do they stock you know equivalent number of gins or just or non-alcoholic gins or do they just pick one or two what what do they go a you know value middle premium tier it's it's a lot of questions to be asked for that as well i think in the supermarkets there's an air of caution around it compared to non-alcoholic beer which is which is which which has proven itself now i think with you know the success of stuff like heineken zero zero and you know, there isn't really a question over whether that sells with the non-alcoholic spirits from what I've seen. And this is supermarkets, not convenience retailers I'm talking about. Is the, the ranges are significantly smaller. I think that's the issue. And then they become even smaller in convenience stores. Isn't that right? And um, so just another point, actually coming back to wine and leaving aside Ronan's horrible experiences with his, uh, with his Chardonnay. Um, could... Um, could wine be part of a meal deal option maybe is a good good way of kind of building up a an entry point for retailers i think you're right Aidan. i think i think it could i mean it's maybe not necessarily alcohol free but a lower abv wines and things like that could certainly be something that retailers can start promoting a bit more um you know i know that uh, myself and my wife do look sometimes at you know lower abv wines uh, you know because you know there's just times where you just do want to think about you know and is largely health driving it you want to cut down your alcohol intake so um you know i think overall this is as we say very early days but the opportunity is out there right now this is a category people totally want to get involved with isn't that right Blonnie? yeah completely and we've just been speaking about 
how consumers are changing pretty much everything this year and they've further changed their alcohol consumption directly as a result of coronavirus. So 38% of consumers have reduced their consumption at least a little bit during lockdown and that's especially true for under 35s. And it's as much as reducing alcohol, there's also this need to try something new, which I think we've seen in lives which are so samey over the last year. And I think that low to no will really mirror maybe the success that we've seen in gin, whereas consumers are looking for taste first as the most important factor in purchase decision hierarchy. And that's why it's so important that these big brands are investing in the market. And, and driving awareness. But I think as well as the taste, to succeed, it will be about keeping the message simple. So I spoke to a small beer co who, who makes sort of low alcohol beer, and they were saying how they were talking about keeping the message simple. So they were saying, uh, have a sociable ABV, but then consumers were saying, what, what does ABV mean? You know, it's about really reducing that message and, and giving consumers something that they understand, and then they can want that. I think that's why Heineken 00 was such a success because it's right there on the bottle in the name. It says it all. And that really came along and paved the way for a lot of the later launches. And I think set a precedent for how to communicate a non-alcoholic beer to shoppers in a way that isn't off-putting, doesn't make them feel weird. It doesn't have a different colored logo. So if you're out drinking one, everyone can see that you're the non-alcoholic drinker. It just looks exactly like a Heineken with a little tweak. This this year in particular, I think, you know, the, we're moving into this easing of lockdown. We're seeing the, the um, outdoor gatherings are going to become a, a big thing. Pubs are not open, you know, certainly in England, even for another month or so to go indoors. So people are going to be gathering, you know, more. The weather's not always perfect in this country, as we know. People are likely to want to do it more in the afternoon than in the evenings when it's slightly warmer. And people don't want to get completely hammered in the afternoon. So, you know, there's an opportunity here that, uh, you know, if it's not this year, you know, it's never, it's going to be almost never. So I think readers have to bite the bullet this year. It's interesting you, you mentioned that because that seems to be very much the way that certainly in terms of innovation and MPD coming into the category, a lot of it just in the past month or two has been in RTDs now. So I think brands are really wanting to, even if pubs and bars are back open, because there's uncertainty around that, people are wanting to target that group of friends sitting in the park in the summer occasion which is such a powerful you know consumer drive it certainly was last year even when we had eat out to help out on uh, and prior to uh, the apocalypse <laughs> excellent um uh, and just what why we've got you daniel uh, i i understand william reed are are doing um uh, a show dedicated entirely to this category so can you tell us a bit more about that we we are so when when I say it's a big a big deal, I'm not saying that just because all the big suppliers and brands are investing in it. You know, so are we. We've created uh, a exclusive trade show and exhibition just for the low to no category. It's taking place at the Truman Brewery in London in June, um, and we think it's a really good opportunity for brands, suppliers, retailers, and and not just the off trade but the on trade as well to to come together and really have a gathering that's the first of its kind at this scale just for low to know. Excellent. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode of The Convenience Mix. 
Uh, just want to extend my thanks to my co-hosts Plonny and Aidan and our guests for this episode, Chris Miller from JW Philsill and the grocers, Daniel Wilson. Um, and thank you too for the listeners. Um, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Comedians Mix podcast on your favourite streaming platform and keep up to date with the latest news, views and insights from the convenience sector on conveniencestore.co.uk, The Grocer and Lumina Intelligence. And if you've been inspired to learn more about this fast growing category and you want to know how you can get involved with that uh, low to no Bev show that uh, Daniel just mentioned, um, then please do visit www.lowtonobev.com.